Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw and here is my co-host Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we watched the original 1997 Men in Black movie directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones star in this sci-fi buddy comedy about two secret agents who confront alien visitors to Earth. And it's a Patreon request from Asante, so thank you very much for requesting this 90s classic, a very fun movie, which I saw probably four or five times as a tween, and Morgan watched for the first time this week. Yes, this sort of fell in the same zone as Titanic and The Matrix, which were like movies sort of nominally for grown-ups. This obviously is very kid-friendly, this movie, but it was not appropriate for seven-year-olds, according to my household, that came out kind of in the late 90s that I wasn't allowed to see at the time and therefore just like never saw because they weren't sort of at the top of my list at any point since and always was like, I should check out all of those classic films that I missed that came out just before I was old enough to see them, but I never got around to it. So I was really glad to finally have an excuse to watch this incredibly important hallmark of American mainstream pop culture. (laughs) And it's a very fun movie. (laughs) It's very fun. Extremely enjoyable. Like, bold take for me, Men in Black. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this movie really requires very little background, um, but it is written by... Ed Solomon, who is a comedy writer who I respect greatly. He wrote the Bill and Ted franchise and um, he's always on Twitter sharing behind the scenes uh, jokes about Hollywood and talking about how he's just... I think his. I think this might be the franchise where like occasionally he will show the letter he receives for his royalties and it's always like $3 because the, uh, the studio, through clever Hollywood financing, is constantly saying that Men in Black has never made money. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's never turned a profit and that's why yes. you're not getting your bonus, which is a classic 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 uh, situation in the, with these studios but um yeah Barry Sonnenfeld who made several absolutely delightful films in the 90s and since then has not done <laughs> done that so much he did the Adams family films which are absolutely fantastic and the Men in Black trilogy but as we know the third and somewhat the second Men in Black films not so good he also did Wild Wild West which is famously appalling Will Will Smith movie, which I've not seen. But in general, Men in Black has a very simple concept. It is based on a comic which has been massively overshadowed by the movie. I don't really know anyone who's a fan of the Men in Black comics, but um, the general concept is it's a riff on the classic mid-20th century American conspiracy theory that there is a kind of secret government organisation of just men in suits who will show up at the UFO sites to hush everything up. And this film coming out in the 90s, several decades after this became a full conspiracy theory, embraces that idea and just is a funny and delightful parody that sort of tells an adventure story in the general familiar format of like a buddy comedy between two very different people who have to solve a crime together. Yes, I mean, part of what was really interesting to me about watching this movie was getting to see... Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones at the kind of peak of their star power, although they were obviously at different points in their careers at this point, because they're both actors I feel like are so familiar to me because they're so famous. But I don't 
think I've actually seen either of them in that many movies. Like, I've certainly seen them in stuff, but I was counting up Tommy Lee Jones, and I think I'd seen him in five films before this, a couple of which are pretty small supporting roles. And I had not seen him in any of his sort of major big movie star parts from the 90s. And this film is obviously coming, it came out a year after Independence Day, which was Will Smith's huge breakout as a movie star. He obviously was already famous from television. And, you know, I've seen Will Smith in movies, but I have not seen a lot of the movies from when he was like the biggest movie star in the world. And this is kind of like, not the first of those movies, but it's at the beginning where he's still kind of on the rise. And you really are seeing the like formation of a movie star persona in front of your eyes, which yeah. is pretty fascinating. And he has so much charisma in this movie. I've not seen Independence Day in like a million years, so I can't really speak to that one. But kind of when I think about the other movies I've seen Will Smith in, I think this is the best Will Smith. Because <laughs> like he does a fuckload of movies, but kind of he's one of these megastars who kind of as he becomes more famous, his presence is just sort of flattened and it's not the same as Tom Cruise but it's a little bit like Tom Cruise and he's this huge institution who has like really broad mainstream appeal and in the past kind of decade or so he's predominantly done action movies but action movies that are not like the top action movie and obviously that's not like the only thing he's done but I mean he could be making better and more interesting films but instead he's doing like the bad Aladdin and the Netflix movie Bright and playing a side character in Suicide Squad which is not decisions that I personally would be in favor of you know he's Will Smith we're all familiar <laughs> well they're both Scientologists so the Tom Cruise Tommy, comparison I, I was, meant, I, was I, I thought you meant Tommy Lee Jones I knew that Will Smith was a Scientologist no. but I think this no, is no. going to be a revelation to a lot of listeners because Will Smith has never said he's a Scientologist. He has merely given millions of dollars quietly to Scientology-adjacent organizations and opened his own school. So Yes. But I think that the Tom Cruise comparison is definitely apt, although Tom Cruise is clearly more of a like publicly crazy person. And as you say, his career is more limited to a very specific range of things at this point. But I think that... They're both very, very conscious of their public image, in specifically in terms of the movies they make and how that affects how people think about them. Yeah. Obviously, Tom Cruise, like, he has a, many elements of his public image that he is not fully in control of, but he controls his sort of movie stardom obsessively. And I remember in college... I, had a professor who, for a screenwriting class who knew another screenwriter or sort of script consultant person who had worked with Will Smith's team. And he had this whole team of people developing stuff for him. And his whole thing for a long time, which I don't think he sticks to as closely anymore because he's done stuff like Suicide Squad, which does not fit into what I'm about to say, was that like if his grandmother didn't want to see the oh, movie I think he was going to make. That, yeah. yeah. Or like if it wasn't sort of suitable for that audience, like he didn't want to make it. And so something like Men in Black is not a movie you think of as like a grandma movie. But if you go through his filmography before the past, I don't know, five to maybe 10 years, it's clearly all stuff that is like not morally 
objectionable. Yeah, I mean, his big, his biggest like drama play as a superstar was Pursuit of Happiness, which is like, I mean, not bland. It's not really fair to say it's bland, but that's quite bland. <laughs> well, he also was in Ali, the Michael Mann biopic. Oh, okay. I'd forgotten Ali. that one. Um, which is probably I have never seen that, but that's probably the most like artistically interesting mm-hmm. sort of serious movie he's made. Again, I say not having seen this film, but that and he got nominated for an Oscar for that, but it was kind of a flop. It didn't make money. Obviously, Muhammad Ali is was a really like radical political figure, but by the time that movie came out, he was someone who was pretty widely embraced by the American public right and something like the pursuit of happiness which i think of as more of a like standard will smith type of movie is exactly the kind of thing that we're discussing like you're right and also like everything everything you just said about kind of image control is also why he and jada pinkett are like such like a power couple (laughs) because it's like if you just think about like actually do you know red table talk I have never watched it, but okay. I am certainly familiar <laughs> yeah. with it. Because that's like, yes, yeah, that's, yes. that's Jada Pinkett's like talk show that she has with several female relatives. And they like, it's, it's very like, we are experienced at therapy kind of conversations. It's, it's like therapy entertainment. It's like the classiest possible reality TV where people kind of like discuss their issues and they have like celebrity guests on. And sometimes it's like, a celebrity guest who's had a scandal or like a trauma and they talk that out with like the red table talk hosts and occasionally if there's like a very brave racist white person who wants to get back into good PR (laughs) they'll go on and have like Jada Pinkett and her relatives eviscerate them on TV but like that is very much of the sort of we're okay with being public celebrities which is very different from Tom Cruise who's like a secret creepy mystery box but it's in the same zone of like controlled but public yes and What's kind of interesting about Will Smith is that I feel like in the second half-ish of his movie career, I don't have the exact dates, but my my kind of sense is that the more recent half of his career, that has not served him very well. Because, as you say, the movies he's made have not done as well financially. They have not been received particularly well critically. Obviously, something like Bright was... Like, people did not like. Um, I certainly get the sense that he's still very well liked as, like, an Everyone individual, Everyone likes right? Will Smith. He's so likable. I mean, he's so charismatic, which we will talk about more in a second. But I think that that sense of, like, having to have so much control over everything in combination with the fact that Hollywood has veered so much toward these huge sort of superhero IP type projects and away from the types of movies where he really flourished, which were more crafted around like movie star personas, right? Has caused some problems for him. Because I remember, I certainly knew who he was before Hitch came out, like for sure. But that was the movie where like everyone in my high school went and saw that movie and it was a huge deal. And that's a romantic comedy where he gets to just be like insanely charming because he's insanely charming. And Obviously, he's older now, too, but that type of role just, like, doesn't exist so much anymore. And he's obviously not interested in doing, like, indie dramas. So so then what happens? Yeah. I mean, the thing that's, like, immediately striking about Men in Black is that it is, it is a comedy. It's not an action yes. comedy. It's a comedy that, like, has action scenes. And it leans really heavily 
on having actors who are extremely talented comedians. And also in like a really classic dynamic where you've got the straight man, which is obviously Tommy Lee Jones. And then you've got like the hyperactive one who's more like zany, which is Will Smith. And they're just like perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was... So the first like 20 minutes or so of this movie, I was put off a little bit because that's where it's engaging the most with like real world politics, which... I, I don't care for. <laughs> we don't need it. The very first scene, there is like Tommy Lee Jones comes in and finds an alien who's disguised himself as someone who is immigrating from Mexico in like a truck with a bunch of other people. And I was just like, I mean, the movie doesn't make anything of this at all, but it's clearly just like a pun on the term illegal alien, right? And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I don't I mean, like the this. way they like frame, they like reframe the concept of the men in black as basically like an immigration agency, but a lot cuddlier. And like, I think the, yes. the, like, the initial scene obviously kind of sets the tone where it's like, oh, like we are still the government, but it kind of makes a little nod where it's like, you know, Tommy Lee Jones doesn't care about people coming into the country illegally he only cares about the alien and like then it's like the the border patrol officers who are like yeah. the bad ones and that is like it's so 1997 because obviously this has been like a tale that has been gone since like the exist the invention of american borders but like that wouldn't that is too edgy to come in a film in 2020 but like <laughs> this is in 97 they're like oh. yeah it just it just feels a bit like and then the first couple scenes with will smith like he's a cop in the NYPD and he's like the young kind of like brash police officer who doesn't follow the rules and like multiple scenes of him, like slapping people around. And I was like, I don't love this. Like, you know, and it's so clearly that like, that's the shorthand for how, uh, I mean, not that this died out in the late nineties, but it also does feel like a very nineties thing to be like, ah, yes, our heroic friendly character, how we establish that is have him be a cop. And brutalize people, ha ha ha! And like, but intriguingly, he's still kind of wearing his fun little brightly colored outfits. They're like, he's like, he's like a chill man of the people, and he wears some like great tracksuits before he changes into a man in black. (laughs) And I think the movie, within like twenty ish thirty minutes, just kind of abandons any pretense of being grounded in the real world like it makes a lot of there are a lot of fun scenes that have to do with like jokes about new york and stuff but any sense of politics pretty much goes out the window after will smith like joins the agency and then i found it much easier to just be like sweet (laughs) i mean i was very surprised when i was kind of looking up the background of this film to hear that like the original script had a lot of the story that kind of took place underground and just in different parts of the US, like Kansas or whatever. And then the director, Barry Sonnenfeld, was like, put it in New York because like the whole, the kind of in joke of the movie is like people in New York are just not going to notice if there's an alien there. And it's it's a very funny joke. It works, it works very well. <laughs> and also it just means that it does actually feel like a New York movie because it's, filmed during the period when they still sort of filmed real New York as opposed to like fake glossy New York for this kind of movie. So it's kind of grimy and it looks like a New York buddy cop comedy. And you have all of these really fun character actors playing like minor roles. They just have like, oh, here's Tony Shalhoub for like, you know, five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, 
the I was really surprised when I realized that they were filming street exteriors that were clearly actually shot in New York City as opposed to like on a lot in Hollywood somewhere. It really looks like Manhattan in a way that's very fun. And there's a huge joke about the flying saucer, like kind of landing in Shea Stadium, RIP, where the Mets used to play. And like they have an actor who's like dressed up as a Mets player who like doesn't catch a ball because of this. And like my family's or Mets fans. And so I was just like, ha ha ha, this is like so targeted to me exactly. Made, made right? by like, a New Yorker. <laughs> I mean, Big time. And the fact that they have it, there's like all bunch of stuff revolving around the like old world's fairgrounds, which are in Queens right by where the bets play. But the fact that they were doing that as opposed to having a joke about Yankee Stadium, I was like, yes, someone from New York made this because like no one who's not from here would be like, yes, let's do a joke about the Mets, like the second tier baseball team from New York City. (laughs) So all of that was very entertaining to me but it also has as you were sort of mentioning at the top the visual panache from Sonnenfeld is very distinctive without being so overwhelming that it makes it feel sort of non-mainstream in any way yeah I mean he's kind of the midpoint between the very dialogue heavy comedy directors who like don't have a really distinctive style and people like Tim Burton who are just like completely out there and Barry Sonnenfeld I feel like is because I watched these films when I was probably like 11 or something that was like a really early example of a film where I like actually understood that a director was doing something because I saw like several of these films in quick succession and he has a very recognizable style to do with like how he uses the camera like the the movie starts off with him like following a bug through the air for the credit sequence and that sort of thing and they just have a lot of fun with physical comedy. He, he's a very entertaining director who in recent years has been doing less interesting projects. Yes. Oh, and he started off in porn, which is always an interesting thing to hear about a director's backstory. <laughs> well, and he was a very celebrated cinematographer in the 80s. I think probably most memorably now, he shot the first three Coen Brothers movies, which are... Blood Simple, Mm -hmm. Raising Arizona, and Miller's Crossing. He also shot Misery by Rob Reiner um, and Big by Penny Marshall, which is like quite a selection of movies. I've seen almost all the Coen Brothers movies and I haven't seen Miller's Crossing or Blood Simple, but I have seen Raising Arizona. And Raising Arizona is amazing, obviously, but it definitely is more visually stylish than this movie in terms of just like the way the camera moves because it's an art film and not a mainstream blockbuster. But I think I could sense watching this that the director, obviously I knew he was a cinematographer, so I knew what he knew what he was doing, but like there was enough intentionality behind the camera movements and the way shots were framed that even when those shots weren't necessarily that flashy, because again, I feel like the movie really is trying to be quite accessible and mainstream. It's still done in a really smart way, which I think, oh, he also shot, I'm totally missed on this list. He also shot When Harry Met Sally, which is also very good. But like something like that and Big are both really well shot movies, but they're not particularly flashy. So he obviously has experience like using the camera to sort of tell that kind of mainstream story while still 
doing a really good job with the cinematography and with the sort of production design and elements, including the um, design of all the aliens, which are tremendously fun. It is clearly evoking Tim Burton and the production designer who, uh, his name is Bo Welch, was a Tim Burton guy. Oh, that guy's iconic. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did the the Batman movies. Yeah. And Danny Elfman, who's also his work done almost all of Tim Burton's film scores, scored this movie too. Like clearly there's a lot of creative overlap going on here. And I think if like if you have any familiarity with that aesthetic, it's clearly influenced what's going on in this movie, but it's not nearly as overwhelming as in the Tim Burton movies, which I don't use the word overwhelming in like a positive or negative way it's just like when you watch tim burton movie you know that's what you're watching <laughs> yeah, and you this, know what's up <laughs> yeah this is clearly like pared back a little bit but still has enough of that sense of like a little bit of oddness that it feels like an actual human was kind of in charge of making all the decisions as opposed to just like a corporation which is different from how movies feel currently yeah i saw the men in black i mean i've seen all four men in black movies I don't recall the second one. People say the second one's really bad, but I'm sure it's probably fine. Men in Black 3 is like actively bad and shouldn't have been made. And then in 2019, they released a kind of spin-off starring the amazing cast of Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. And they were like mildly amusing, but it was just this like completely sterile, pointless operation, you know, as you might imagine. <laughs> I remember seeing the trailers to that movie and I'd never seen this, obviously, and just thinking, like, why does this exist? Like, what is the point? And now having seen this, I'm even more appalled in retrospect because it seems like such a perfect example of these corporations now being like, what's a thing that people like? Well, this to me is very much in the same vein as Ghostbusters. Like, it's extremely similar yeah. conceptually yeah. to Ghostbusters, although in my opinion, a better film. But like, when people are like, oh, everyone loves Ghostbusters, you need to make more. It's like, there's no story. Like, <laughs> there's only enough story for one film. I mean, this film is absolutely fantastic. But the concept is the two men need to work together despite their personal differences and find a MacGuffin while chasing around and meeting a bunch of funny aliens. And it's excellent fun. But meeting a bunch of funny aliens is only going to take you so far. Well, it was funny. I was reading reviews after watching it and they were I mean this was very well received it got good reviews at the time but the reviews were all kind of like I mean there's no plot to this movie but it's very fun and I was like oh that's right there isn't any plot I hadn't noticed <laughs> like so many good comedies if you yes. have a good comedy where the characters are dynamic and exciting and you have a bunch of funny aliens then you don't need a plot I mean you know the plot is hinged around a MacGuffin and it's a true good MacGuffin. Because as someone who reviews a lot of blockbusters, I get really sick of MacGuffins because the problem with like these action sci-fi movies is they start trying to put like loads of lore in, you know? Like I just reviewed the Justice League Snyder, Snyder Cut and they spend like an hour explaining what these alien boxes are. And I'm like, no, the purpose of a MacGuffin is to give you a reason to do all the other stuff. It's like the pivot. And in this, the MacGuffin is truly just the pivot. Like, we don't really care very much that the world's going to end because we're too busy being like, it's very funny when Will Smith finds out there's a bunch of snakes, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, I think that ties into your point about it being primarily a comedy as opposed to an action movie, right? Because obviously you can have action movies that aren't heavy on plot that are still satisfying if the stunts are 
exciting. I haven't seen any of the John Wick movies, but my impression of them is definitely not of like plot heavy material. <laughs> and people like those movies a lot. But to do a really satisfying sort of action thriller movie, you generally have to have some kind of plot in most cases. Whereas with a comedy, it's so much more about the jokes and the dynamic between the main characters. And with a buddy comedy, particularly, right? Like it's all about the character's relationship. And that is what this movie is. It uses the like really elaborate sort of world building stuff going on with this technically non-governmental agency that like exists outside of the government, but okay. In order to just like show off these two actors. Yeah. Which is so frustrating about like seeing Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson misused. And in this the characterization isn't like super deep, but it's so kind of specific and well thought out and playing to the actor's personalities and strengths to the extent that you, it kind of makes you wonder how much sort of rewriting and collaboration went on because the, this like clearly a good script went through various kind of versions before the film was made. So there was a period when the studio was kind of trying to go for Clint Eastwood to play the Tommy Lee Jones character, which is completely reasonable because those guys are definitely interchangeable in that role. But then they also wanted Chris O'Donnell to play the Will Smith part. And Chris O'Donnell at that point would, had played Robin in the Batman movies. And I have no strong opinion of Chris O'Donnell. And I think that is pretty much the problem here because he's just like, yes. he's just like some guy. Like, I'm sure he's fine but he's just some guy and in the end like he turned it down and also David Schwimmer turned it down and then (laughs) they they got Will Smith and Spielberg who was producing was like please come and make this movie and then you end up with this character who is like so indelibly Will Smith like it's all him I'm sure he must have improved a bunch on this as well but also like once you have like a black character in that role it changes the dynamic quite a lot and they clearly kind of play that into his character Obviously, like, Agent K, Tommy Lee Jones' character is this, like, incredibly, like, buttoned up, very, like, mid-20th century figure in a way that I kind of had forgotten at the time because also, like, less time had passed at that point. But the whole point is, like, he was there in the 1960s when they first discovered aliens or whatever. And then, like, he's kind of nearing retirement age and everyone who works for the Men in Black is just this, like, rectangle, like a Caucasian rectangle wearing a suit. And then Will Smith shows up wearing his like orange tracksuits and being like really fun and thinking outside the box and generally having like loads of the kind of the classic dynamic is like you've got the street smarts guy and he's like the street smarts guy. And they have these kind of setup scenes where he goes in to have his little job interview slash audition. And there's all these like incredibly boring sort of corn fed military types who are trying to get the same job. And he gets the job because he understands how to like think with his brain instead of following a rule book and it's obviously very straightforward stuff that we've seen elsewhere but it just works so well because his character is so punchy and there's just loads of really fun little physical comedy bits they got in there well and he is really impressive in the sort of interview stage which you just described but then once he actually has the job he's a total idiot because he's like young and cocky and thinks he knows how everything works and he definitely doesn't know how anything works so without the movie feeling like it's being nasty it just is like yeah this kid i mean it does like it does like a legitimately it does a legitimately good job of kind of illustrating why they want to hire him and why he's amazing because He's like, you know, he's the first person who manages to like chase down this random alien just as a civilian. And then he like clearly has a really good memory. 
and he has the kind of self-confidence to think outside the box unlike all the other guys and also there's this kind of scene where I mean I'm sure everyone remembers it like there's a scene where they all have to like they're put they have to shoot like aliens that are round a little like cardboard cutout of a schoolgirl like while they're testing everyone if they want to be a man in black and there's like various readings of that scene some people kind of interpret it as having a racial dynamic where it's like he's thinking more about like who's going to get like shot in one what neighborhood and you could also kind of interpret it as like I mean the thing is right he shoots the kid and then doesn't shoot the aliens and everyone is immediately like oh he's like shot the wrong person and then he goes in this whole spiel explaining why he shot all of the aliens and then being like oh well the kid looks like she's completely out of out of place here because she's like carrying these astrophysics textbooks so she's in trouble and so you can be like oh yeah he's really smart or you can also be like oh he's fantastic at talking and they need someone who's really charming and fast talking especially because the role requires everyone to like lie through their teeth all the time because they're secret agents so it's like you can read that scene a bunch of different ways but just purely in terms of watching it you're like this is incredibly entertaining and Will Smith's amazing. (laughs) Yes and I think part of what makes the movie satisfying is that it allows him to actually have that period of kind of growth between that point and the end where he gets to be the hero, right? Because I think that a lot of current blockbusters kind of just want the, like, hero to just be heroic the whole time. And also the hero's journey is, like, really heavy. Like, they're, like, you know, it's all, like, trauma. (laughs) Yeah, and this follows a lot of the familiar beats of Hero's Journey stories, but in a way that's quite light. And again, like, he gets to kind of act like an idiot, which is important for comedy, because (laughs) if you're not acting like a dummy, then it's usually not funny. But without making, like, him seem stupid, it's just that, like, he has, he's overconfident, and he's been thrust into this, like, crazy situation, which no one would know how to deal with. But, like, the scene where he is in the morgue, they're both in the morgue, trying to deal with this these alien corpses. Oh, and we've actually not mentioned, like, the other crucial character, which is Lindo Fiorentino playing the women. <laughs> the, mor- yes. the morgue lady. Lindo Fiorentino, a 90s icon, very rarely for this type of film, 10 years older than the male lead. She is a full 10 years older than uh, Will Smith. But primarily, we're all just going to remember her because her voice is incredible. Iconic voice. And uh, did not get to come back for the sequel, obviously, because, you know, she was a lady, so they had to change her in for a younger I mean, maybe model. maybe she didn't want to come back. I don't know what the uh, logistics of that one were. <laughs> I'm purely speculating based on my knowledge of how Hollywood works. But yeah, she's great. She's really fun in this movie. And <laughs> Will Smith, like, attempting to flirt with this woman while pretending like he knows how medicine works is very funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's very satisfying. And on the other side of the coin is Tommy Lee Jones, whom we have not really talked about, but we should because he is so funny in this movie. Truly hilarious. I don't think I'd ever seen him in anything remotely, remotely approaching a comedy before. Like, not even slightly. And so I was just like, what is happening? Like- <laughs> well, he's like, I'm trying to think, because it's like his his kind of more like fun roles are, he's got like a small part in the first Captain America movie, but that's like, 
you know, whatever. But he's also in one of the Batman movies and he, yeah, Batman Forever, he plays Two-Face and it's like the really wacky campy one and it's so fun because they have him like, he's got this sort of like homoerotic flirtation thing going on with Jim Carrey and it's the famous one where um, there's like a quote from behind the scenes where Tommy Lee Jones is just talking about how like unbearable Jim Carrey is and is like, I can't be having with any of this like tomfoolery. <laughs> yeah. I did watch last year the movie that kind of broke him out, I think, which was from 1979, I want to say, which is called The Eyes of Laura Mars, which was a sort of crime thriller type thing starring Faye Dunaway. That very brief description makes it sound much more normal than it is because it's a movie about a woman who starts having visions of murders and he's the cop investigating. And it's wild. Truly a bizarre film. But he's very good in that and also kind of zany and very hot. And so I watched it and I was like, wow, I'm learning so much about Tommy Lee Jones that I did not know, which is that he was once hot and he could play zany. When we uh, watched Ad Astra, where he plays the dad, the dad Astra. Yes. And it's like Brad Pitt's his son. You watch it and you're like, actually, yeah, he is Brad Pitt's dad. (laughs) They look so similar. But... He's really sort of fun and campy in that movie, but not like funny. And then I feel like most of the other stuff I've seen him in is more recent movies where he's doing some version of the kind of like gruff older guy, which is epitomized in No Country for Old Men, which is still the movie I most associate him with, I think. But he's so kind of loose in this movie while still playing like the more buttoned up character there's just something about the way he moves and also delivers his dialogue that well, he's is... like a, he's like a fun dry dad you know he's a just like dryly amusing so it's like a character who unlike the straight man who's completely unaware of humor he's the straight man who has a sense of humor but doesn't laugh but i think It's not quite dad energy because it's more like dangerous and like slightly unhinged. (laughs) When your dad's the member of an armed government agency. (laughs) I mean, I think one of the things that was thematically really interesting about this film is that there's a kind of darkness to it that is sort of acknowledged, but not completely acknowledged by the movie, that's kind of embodied in that character. He, I mean, obviously, almost everyone listening to this will have seen Men in Black, but for the few of you who have not, like me a week ago, part of how they deal with the like alien issue with civilians is that he has this like device that he uses to like flash a light at people and it causes them to have amnesia so they don't remember whatever it is that they've just seen and um he just uses it on everyone just casually all the time without clearly any concern for the ethical ramifications of this and the will smith character is kind of like um that seems fucked up like uh but the movie doesn't dig into it that much but not in a way that feels exactly as though they haven't thought about it it feels deliberately like we're just gonna leave this here for you to consider after the fact right and like he obviously also like kills people quite casually 
And when he's recruiting Will Smith, he's like, yeah, and you're not going to be able to talk to anyone from your previous life ever again. That's over. It's done. Yeah. And it's like, but it's worth it. It's great. But then you find out that he's been like pining over this woman from his earlier life for his entire life. So he's clearly lied to him about this. And so again, there's this kind of like, again, darkness to that character. Yeah. And sort of like potential commentary on like joining law enforcement where like in a lot of cases, it's kind of like drawing a joining a cult because then like you can only be friends with people who are like, other cops or like if it's something more like an agency like this they do all these background checks and then you can't tell anyone what your real job is sort of thing so it's like it's riffing on real things that like fuck people up emotionally and then being like oh here's like the fun the fun amnesia gun yeah i think it feels much more consciously commenting on something like the cia which you're not allowed to tell anyone obviously that you're an agent for the CIA as opposed to like the police which I don't think this movie has any deliberate critiques of the police especially because the Will Smith character is like a fun cop but the specifically sort of like secret intelligence kind of stuff there is something about the way the movie progresses that isn't again like really bold or that strongly textual critique but there is something in there that's just kind of like uncomfortable which is really interesting because the rest of the movie is so just like fun and light and not serious like you're not supposed to be upset about anything that happens particularly in this film but then something about that and I think it's partially just like the performance is so good from Tommy Lee Jones also that he he was the one element by the end I was like oh this is messed up <laughs> Something, something's bad here. And I think also just like Ed Solomon's a good screenwriter. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, I mean, he's had a mixed, a mixed run as, as so many people have. <laughs> but um, this and Bill and Ted, obviously, he co-wrote Bill and Ted with someone else whose name is not immediately coming to mind. But we have sort of skated around the big unspoken thing your favorite guy (laughs) the villain in this movie one of my most beloved character actors vincent (laughs) d'onofrio who very happily has been in 400,000 movies so i never really have to seek him out Uh, but i didn't even realize this was him until a few years ago when there was this very popular for good reason um interview with him and several other people involved in men in black which was just uh an oral history retrospective of his performance in this film and it is a performance which, for good reason, stuck with me, despite my lack of knowledge that it's him, because it's <gasps> unbelievably fucked up. <laughs> he plays the bug, which is, I mean, technically the antagonist of the film. Unlike most films of this type, they don't have a really impressive villain. They just have this, like, weird monster creature. He's an alien who lands on Earth and then, like, eats this farmer named Edgar and then wears his body as a skin suit. <laughs> So his introduction is just this really weird conversation between like Edgar the bug and his wife where it's just very weird. And then for the rest of the film, he's just sort of shambling around. (laughs) And it's just, he literally does look and behave like a fully decaying corpse. Like I had never thought about this because I'd seen the film when I was like 12, but 
if I'd seen it now, I would just be like, how did they do this? And the answer is, it's literally just because Vincent D'Onofrio was a really good actor. Because <laughs> um, this interview, which was published in Vulture, and we will put in the show notes, it kind of talks to mostly D'Onofrio and the director, Barry Sonnenfeld. And Barry Sonnenfeld was just like, I don't have any interest in talking about the acting craft with you whatsoever. He like invited <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio around his house for coffee, and they hung out together he was like, oh, what was it like to work with Kubrick? Because, like, Vincent D'Onofrio's breakout role was as a young man in Full Metal Jacket. So he, like, told some anecdotes about what it was like to work with Kubrick and um, how apparently Kubrick didn't give him much direction and he just, like, formed him for his role himself. And then Barry Sonnenfeld was like, fine, okay, well, you're hired and uh, just do whatever you like. (laughs) (laughs) And Vincent D'Onofrio was just like, okay, I will then. So there's this quote here where he says... Nobody saw the actual character or heard the character's voice until the first day of shooting. Not even Barry. Before the first take, he met me halfway between the set and the trailer. I showed him the walk and I fine- and he fine-tuned it a little. He said, will you be able to run like that? That was really stupid, smart of him and I was able to tailor the run and walk so that I could in fact move better. That was like the only direction he received was like, are you able to physically run while doing this performance? And like, so he just did all of this. Like he made up these like bizarre expressions that makes it look like his whole body is like decaying. He made up a voice that was a combination of George C. Scott's and George and John Houston's voices. But he also like locked his legs, so he put like braces inside his trousers so he couldn't move his legs and ankles properly, so it kind of looked like he had rigor mortis. And so he just showed up shambling around, slurring and stuttering, and like everyone was just like, What the fuck is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> He's amazing in this movie, as he so often is. I I love it even more knowing that he just was like, I'm going to come up with all of this in my own brain. Yeah, he made um, it all up. He was like, oh, I'm going to go home and get some like basketball knee braces and brace my legs up. And then the rest of it is just like some makeup designer being like, here's how to make it look like your flesh is falling off. He kind of does this thing where like his mouth is like all the way moved to like the side of his face where his cheeks should be. And I was like, how is he doing that? Like, I don't understand actors. Like, that seems impossible to sustain for more than, like, two seconds. And he just carries on. It's, like, completely wild. And it's also just really funny that Barry Sonnenfeld is legitimately a really good director. And his approach with actors is apparently, in many cases, just do whatever. <laughs> just go with it. Just, just vibe. I mean... My impression of directing from, you know, reading lots of stuff over the years is that it's a lot of casting. Like, that seems to yeah, be in yeah. many it's cases. Like you, correct, like, you find the people who can correctly vibe. Yes. Obviously, there are directors who do a lot of, like, very active work with actors. It's very impressive. But having read, again, lots of interviews with actors who clearly hate having conversations with directors about, like, the meaning of the character... If you hire hire a really talented person and just let them do whatever the fuck they want, it seems like that works nine times out of ten. And it's, in this it's a case, Robert Pattinson method. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> I guess the last note I would say, I did mention this briefly earlier, but the um the special effects, both digital and practical, on all the aliens are just awesome. Oh yeah, there's a lot of really fun aliens in this for sure. Yeah. It's a pretty smart meld, I think, of digital and practical stuff. 
because there's some where you can clearly tell it's all done by the computer and then like occasionally will smith will be like holding an alien baby and, you know. but uh it is amazing how at this point in the sort of history of hollywood you could get a movie where I was just thinking about something the other day and I can't remember what it was, but like there were definitely films at this point that came out that had like embarrassingly bad CGI, just like really awful. And then this, you can obviously tell it's fake, but it basically looks fine. So thank you so much to Asante for sponsoring this episode. This was a lot of fun. And next week we have yet another Patreon request. Gav, do you want to share what that one will be? Yeah, so next week we are doing the anime film Promare from Studio Trigger, which is a recent and popular kind of fantasy action sci-fi film about firefighters, but not precisely about firefighters. Uh, But I've heard it's good and I'm looking forward to watching it and finding out. Yes, and I believe that is available on HBO Max in the US. So um, that should be pretty widely available here and I'm sure can be accessed in other countries easily as well. Um, But here it's on HBO. So yeah, that will be fun. I don't think we've done an anime film before. We have done Yuri on Ice, but I believe it is our only foray into this genre. So this will be a good time. And we will have up already by the time this episode posts um, a mini-sode with our reactions to the Academy Award nominations on Patreon. So if you would like to listen to that and our other stuff, you can find that at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. Gabia, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find me on YouTube at Behind the Seams, and you can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at mldavies. The podcast is on Twitter at overinvestedpod. We are on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast, and our website is overinvestedpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.